website. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome to the prologue on America's Web Radio. We're a weekly program that brings you introductions to writers and books you may not be familiar with yet. My name's Doug Dahlgren. I'm a writer, and I'll be your host. You can find my work, starting hopefully with The Sun, Silas Rising, on Amazon.com, BooksAmillion.com, and Barnes & Noble, all the online sites. Now, we call this show the prologue because that's exactly what it is. And while our introductions are mainly for writers, we love to bring you interesting people with just a good story to tell from other fields and other endeavors as well. Now, if you or anybody you know has a book or that interesting story that just needs to be told, please reach out to me through email. There's two ways. There's Doug at AmericasWebRadio.com, or you can use Doug at DougDahlgren.com. I'd love to talk with you about being on a future program, so please reach out. Or if you just got a comment about the show, we'd love to hear from you on that as well. Now, our guest for this hour is an award-winning writer who has been working on her craft for nearly 30 years. She's been published in magazines, newspapers, as well as her many books. Her experience in the military gave us the Dragon Slayer saga about a special forces team that targets terrorists. Book two of that series was selected for summer reading list for the Military Writers Society of America in 2011. Now, not one to stay in a single genre, our guest also writes contemporary romance novels as well as alien horror with her space, uh, space series. Now, her latest work is a look at the future, and it's a look through the eyes of young people. Servo is an enlightening but scary look at our country after the Great Separation. Now, before we bring her on, please let me welcome two special groups of listeners that we try to mention every week on the prologue. Our folks serving around the world in the armed forces of this country, working hard to keep us safe back home so we can live our lives that we so often take for granted. Freedom isn't free. It's bought and paid for daily by these men and women in uniform. And we thank each of them for what they do, and we thank them for listening when they can. We also want to mention the first responders here at home, those police, fire, and EMT personnel, who rush to our aid when we need their help. We thank each of them for what they do, and thank you for listening to the prologue on America's Web Radio. Our featured author for this hour is Kathy Rowe. Her latest novel, as we mentioned, is Serval, S-E-R-V-O, and this is your prologue. Newly orphaned by the questionable death of their father, three siblings are willed to their grandparents, a move that takes them from their home in the inner states to a place called Nebraska in the outer states. Life and technology are quite different in the outer states, a place from which it's difficult to return. Servo follows the children through the eyes of the middle brother to meeting a new friend and finding an old castaway machine that will change everything. The book is titled Servo, and the author is with us this hour. Please welcome from her home in Kentucky, Kathy Rowe. How are you doing, Kathy? 
I'm doing fine, Doug. A little chilly, but not bad. Uh, we said you're in Kentucky. Uh, how chilly is it? Uh, it's probably in the upper 30s with a couple snowflakes, but nothing sticking, oh, nothing not doing bad. anything. No, nah, it's not bad. Yeah, that's that's not too bad. Well, it's great to have you with us this morning. I wanted to mention right away, Servo is being released in a little different way than normal, uh, and especially from your other books. Tell us about that, would you? Uh, well, I decided to get crazy, and I got a booth this year at the Lexington Comic and Toy Convention, and I'm going to release the book there. I've ordered a bunch of copies, and they're going to show up, and I will be selling them there and autographing and doing all that fun stuff. So, um, Also, it will probably be appearing online about the same time as well. I've just kind of got to finish doing the ebook version of it, which is really giving me headaches currently. Do you have a date uh, that you can tell us when it will be available on Amazon? Uh, it should be available after the 11th of March. Oh, very good. That's not that far off. Excellent. No, no. And again, and again, the uh, the event you're going to for the big release. What was that again? The Lexington Comic and Toy Convention, aka the Lexington Comic Con, uh, downtown Lexington, Kentucky. Here. Super. About, very good. It's about two hours from my house, so I figured, well, what the heck, might as well, you know, bring uh, several boxes of books up there and see if I can uh, build my fan base a little bit more. Absolutely. And, folks, if you're in the Lexington area or within a, you know, a reasonable drive, why don't you get over there? Give us that date again, Kathy. Uh, March 11th, 12th, and 13th. Outstanding. All right. The, I wish you good the luck 11th, with that. The 11th is like the VIP evening, and then the 12th and the 13th are general admissions. Okay. Now, when you write, if people are looking for you on Amazon, they find that you write as K, initial K row. Now, is there any particular meaning to just using your initial rather than your first name? Well, when my first novel came out, it was Project Dragon Slayers, which is a pretty hardcore military thriller type book. And um, I was kind of thinking that considering the majority of my audience would more than likely be male, that if they saw a Kathy Rowe up there and it's a military thriller, they'd kind of dismiss it. So I just decided to drop it to initial K, and that way if they read the book and really enjoyed it, and then when they got to the end and realized that a woman wrote it, maybe they wouldn't feel so discriminatory about it. Because I've done 20 years in the Air Force, my husband's retired Special Forces, so I, I can write with the credibility. And um, I've, I've had some people read the books and actually compare me to a, a, uh, a more enjoyable version of Tom Clancy, just a lot less technical. Very well, good. That kind of gave me one fuzzy. Tell us a little more about your career. You brought it up. Uh, you were heavily involved uh, in the Air Force, as, as your husband is. Uh, tell us a little bit more about what you did. Well, I kind of had a boring military career. I was actually a in the medical field. I was an x-ray technician. But the uniqueness of my job was I would see patients from all walks of life. So one day I may have a Navy SEAL in there I'm x-raying, and the next day I've got you know, a dependent son that slammed his finger in the door. So it gave me a wide variety of people to interact with. So in a way that kind of helped building characters because I could draw a lot of personality quirks and things and such from people that I've worked with and patients I've dealt with. But, um, yeah, I, I did the 20 years, and I was actually very happy to retire because the way the military was going, it just wasn't fun anymore. 
Mm, yeah, we're hearing a lot of that, unfortunately. Um, <clears throat> but we still we still respect those who are out there defending us, don't we? Oh, most definitely. You know, it's it's just uh, not the way it used to be. So I I give them credit for doing what they're doing and hope that they can make a go of it. So we I still have a, my oldest stepson's in the Coast Guard still. He's I guess he's got about seven or eight more years before he can retire. So I wish him the best of luck on that one. Oh, yes. Well, listen, back to your writing. You combine uh, many genres in Servo. You combined, uh, so let's say, young adult and uh, action-adventure, sci-fi's in there, even a bit of a murder mystery. Who who exactly is the target audience for this book? Um, I wrote it in mind to be a young adult novel, say maybe ages 14, 15 up. And I've actually probably had more adults read it than I've had young adults, but hey, everybody, it's it's written for pretty much any age level that can handle it. It's not, you know, there's there's no real cursing, no huge amounts of violence, except at the end scene, but hey, you know. Um, and it's it's written really a lot from a character standpoint, so you can actually follow the, the journey of this 13-year-old boy and what he's going through. So in a way, I kind of figured, well, if they can make it with the Hunger Games series and all that, and that's considered young adult, I'll give it a try. So I'm hoping uh, it will actually appeal to a wide range. Now, in the book, you describe a social system that is set up after a long-ago great war that creates this this great separation. Uh, Without giving the book away, can you describe what that separation is? Well, it's... I guess you could say in society today, it's the haves versus the have-nots. And it it takes it to an amazing extreme to the point where part of, part of the country has become, quote-unquote, a utopia, where only the rich people live and can afford to do things, and they have higher, you know, extreme higher education and genetically engineered people and all that, as opposed to what's on the other side of the wall, which is, It'd be a lot like our society today. Basically, a lot of farmers, a lot of merchants, a lot of you know, um, industry and things like that, which are kind of made to cater to the rich. So, I, I figured it was kind of interesting to try and come up with something of a dual caste society on a very large level. And yet, you tackle it from the perspective of young people. Your main characters, for the most part, are are children, really, teenagers who have been raised in this electronic world with all the electronic conveniences. What can you tell us about Jonah? Um, he's, well, the middle child, like you'd said, and him and his younger brother and older sister basically grew up almost, I guess you could say, with silver spoons in their mouths. They they had robots to care for them, to take them to school, to amuse them, to help them with their homework. They were what's called GEEs, genetically engineered entities, meaning that they had gone through a special process to ensure that they're as intelligent as possible, as disease-free, immune, you know, resistant to whatever, which they find out really isn't. And they kind of have a life where they already know what they're going to be doing by maybe age 12 or 13. They already know what they want to do in life and where they're headed. So it's kind of um, a very driven type society, driven to succeed, driven to be rich and powerful. 
Sounds interesting. Was it hard or difficult, really, to write from the perspective of a 13-year-old? Partly, yes, because it's like, well, I'm a soon-to-be 46-year-old woman writing from the perspective of a 13-year-old boy, so there required a little bit of mental work on that, but the one advantage I had is he is an extremely intelligent kid. He's got an IQ of like 170, and he's the dumb one of the family. And uh-huh. so he, yeah, so he has a very uh, broad vocabulary and things like that. So it, it didn't make it incredibly hard, but I just had to remember, yes, I have to think about what he would be thinking at that age, you know, going out in the creek and chasing crayfish or, you know, doing doing things, throwing the football with his brother, it's stuff like that. So, Before we go to this break, uh, tell the folks where they can find the books by Kay Rowe. Uh, I'm on Amazon.com. All of my stuff is either print or ebook. I also have ebooks on Barnes & Noble and a uh, very large retailer um, called Smashwords.com. They are basically one of the largest uh, distributors of ebooks in the world. And I have all my stuff on there as well. Outstanding. We're talking to Kay Rowe. We know her as Kathy. And we're talking about her latest book, Servo. We'll be back with more after these short messages. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare. Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we are back on the prologue here at America's Web Radio. Our guest today is Kathy Rowe. You'll look her up on Amazon and other sites as K Rowe. 
Uh, the latest book she has out is Servo. We've been talking about that, and we'll get back to it in a minute. But, Kathy, let's talk about you. Let's talk about our author here for just a little bit. Tell us about yourself. Where are you originally from? Um, actually, I was born in San Diego, California. Lived there the first 18 years of my life. Got married, ended up in Arkansas for a while. Then uh, ended up in the military and have kind of been here, there, and everywhere. And uh, finally retired back in 2011, and I'm now a farmer in Kentucky. How did you decide on Kentucky is where you wanted to put down those roots? Well... The husband and I had been looking at, uh, like, Arizona and things like that, but we have horses and such, and Arizona's really hard to grow grass in, so we thought maybe we'll look at various other places, and we ended up on vacation here in Kentucky and went, wow, look at all this pretty green grass. So when I got back from vacation, I started looking online and went, wow, we can afford this. So we bought property out here and uh, became part-time farmers for about six years until I retired, and then we became full-time farmers. I'll bet it is gorgeous up there in the springtime in the summer. It is very pretty, especially in the spring. Oh, my goodness, everything's blooming. If you have allergies, not the place to live. But other than that, it's gorgeous. <laughs> well, now, back to your uh, family as a youngster. Are you from a large or a small family unit? Um, I would say medium. I was actually the youngest of three. My sister's like 13 years older. My brother's 15 years. And... I won't exactly say I was a military brat, but although my dad was in the Navy, he was out by the time I came around. But um, he, he did do, like, the Naval Sea Cadets and things like that um, when I was a kid. So I kind of grew up tromping around the little Navy bases in San Diego and watching people march and such like that. And I wasn't exactly sure if that's really what made me join the military, but it did pique my interest in writing military-type stuff, which was funny considering I wasn't even in the military, but... It did uh, did seem to have an effect on me. Are there other writers in your family? Mm, nope. As far as I know, I am it. I'm the well, only one crazy some... enough. <laughs> Somebody had to be your influence. Who was your major influence in getting started writing? It was probably, I could say, my best friend, Jessica. She, um, We've been friends and Girl Scouts for I don't know how many years, and then I ended up in the same high school as her, and she kind of, she'd always been one to do a lot of writing and stuff, and then we kind of got into it, and I started getting interested, and I sort of picked it up and ran with it from there. Do you stay in touch with her? Oh, heck yeah, we're Facebook friends. We chat chat once in a while and send each other funnies back and forth on Facebook, but uh, I keep telling her she needs to come out for a vacation because we're at somewhere green because she still lives in San Diego, but... Uh, Every time she always finds an excuse. I'm like, really, honestly, we do have indoor plumbing. The, the uh, outhouse was just a joke. <laughs> now, did she keep up with her writing? Uh, I don't think she has. Oh. So not to the not to the extent of what I have. Well, we thank her for getting you started. How's that? Yeah. All right. Now, another character uh, that your heroes meet in the book Servo, and again, folks, that's spelled S-E-R-V-O, uh, the character is Dagwood Hogg. Now, he's a special needs teenager. Is there anyone from your childhood that you drew from while you were creating Dagwood? Actually, not my childhood, but this is where it'll be weird. Is um, If you've ever seen Stephen King's the, the miniseries The Stand, uh, the character Moon, who always goes M-O-O-O-N, um, I, I thought that was a very interesting character because he was, you know, yes, he had uh, mental disabilities and everything, but yet he was 
quite an interesting functioning character, and that's kind of where I drew a bit of Dagwood off of because he's he's not particularly bright, but he has got the biggest heart you could ever think of for you know someone his age. And I wanted to have a character that was completely opposite of the ultra intelligent kids, but yet someone that they, especially Jonah, feels that wow, he's he's made all these efforts to make friends with us and everything, and you know, hey, maybe he's not so bad after all. And they, they become really, really good friends. In fact, partway through the book, he's now missing Dagwood and can't wait to get home to see him. Now, Dagwood, what age is he? He's, I believe he's 15 in the start of it. So he's a couple okay. years older than Jonah. Little, little older, but still they become friends. Now, while he is somewhat, well, what's the term? Slow, I guess, uh, as they say. The character plays a very important role in your story. Uh, what what can you tease us with about the role that Dagwood plays? Well, you never really realize until you live in an area there's not a lot of people, because I, I, I live in a very rural community out here. It's And there is a saying that it's not, uh, not what you know, but who you know in order to accomplish things out here. And I, I kind of took that to heart and because Jonah, when he finds this old robot, he wants to fix it up well. He doesn't know anybody in Nebraska. He doesn't know what he can do, where he can get parts. I mean, he's completely out of his element. Well, he starts chatting with Dagwood, who happens to know people. So he's like, well, hey, he's a nice guy, and maybe he can help me with things. And the more and more they get to know each other, the more he really trusts and and appreciates his friendship, because Dagwood puts him in contact with all kinds of people who can help him get parts for this for this robot. Now, in your, I guess we'd call it a near-utopian society that you come up with here with the inner and the outer states, um, there's still discrimination and there's still prejudice. Is there a lesson in that fact for us? Oh, most definitely. Um, especially when the kids come from the inner states, they're, they're used to wearing school uniforms. Now they're put into school in the outer states where they now feel that, oh, well, we're far superior to everybody, but yet the outer states kids are looking at these kids that are running around in uniforms and they kind of treat them like they're aliens and have, you know, want nothing to do with them because, oh, they're super smart kids. We don't want to, you know, we, we can't hang around them. It's not cool. And on the same token, when one particular character ends up in the inner states, he runs into the same problem of discrimination because he's from the outer states. Oh, well, you're just, you know, you're, you're, you're lower than pond scum. And he gets treated as such. And it's, you know, it goes to show that, you know, no matter what you do, no matter how perfect a society, you're still probably going to run into some sort of discrimination. People are that way. And uh, it looks like you can't really run away from it, can you? No. Sadly, but true. The book is Servo, S-E-R-V-O. The author is Kathy Rowe. You'll find her as K. Rowe. Tell the folks again where they can find this book and when. Uh, it'll be available after March 11th, and it'll be on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and smashwords.com as an ebook. All right. I want you to look for it. We want to go back to your military service just a little bit. You told us already you served for over 20 years. Did you travel a lot with your service? Sadly, I didn't get to travel as much as I wanted to. Um, I did a couple of bases in the United States, and I spent six years in the United Kingdom, 
which was extremely interesting. I, I still have friends over there that I hang, I get in contact with. But, um, yeah, and now that I'm retired and a farmer with a probably close to 100 animals, I don't get to travel anymore. So I, anytime I do research, Google Earth is my best friend. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one. I use that myself. Uh, being being a farmer, you've had a busy life. You, you retired from the military, from the Air Force, and you choose to be a farmer, and you land in Kentucky. Uh, first of all, you said you've got 100 animals. Tell us a little bit more about your farm. What's, what's your day-to-day life like up there? Well, I get up in the morning and uh, get all the dogs fed and then take part of them up to the barn with me where they get to run around like fools while I take care of three horses. Uh, five goats, a pot-belly pig, and, oh, God, 60, 70, maybe 80 chickens, ducks, and turkeys. I don't know. We're in the midst of hatching season right now, so I keep getting more popping out all the time. And uh, if our, our goats are going to be due to kid out at the end of March, so we'll have a few babies running around for a while. But uh, normally after I get everything that done, it's a matter of milking the goats, bringing that in, processing the milk. And then I, after all this, it's probably close to 9 o'clock in the morning. Then I finally get breakfast. <laughs> this, so. is going to be an, this is going to be an obvious question, but when in the world do you find time to write? Well, after I get done with all the morning chores, if I don't have a bunch of housework to do, I'll usually sit down on the computer and check my email and goof off on Facebook for a short bit, and then I'll pick up on whatever I was working on, and I'll write for a few hours. And uh, yeah, I'll do that until my eyes bug out or until I find something else I have to get done. Besides Google Earth, you create some very vast settings. What other resources do you use? Uh, I I'm sure that travel is kind of out of the question with all your responsibilities on the farm, but uh, how do you come up with these settings you use in your stories? Uh, well, a lot of it will be, if I'm doing basic research, a lot of times I'll go straight to Wikipedia because it's like, hey, most of the time it's short, sweet, and to the point. Otherwise, um, the Internet is my best friend. My God, if my if my Internet ever goes down here at the house, I kind of go into panic mode. <laughs> The only thing worse is a complete and utter power outage, which we had that for four hours one night while I was right in the middle of editing, and I'm like, oh, this is not good. <laughs> so I, I rely very, very heavily on the Internet for my research and, uh, you know, looking for settings and building building worlds and such like that. Who do you uh, borrow from, to, to put it mildly, when you're working on, say, science fiction? Who are some of your inspirations there? Well, Servo itself has a very, very heavy homage to Ray Bradbury. Um, in my younger life, I'd read quite a bit of his stuff, and recently I picked it up again on a, a crazy suggestion from a friend. And that's kind of partly how Servo came about because the because um, of Ray Bradbury's short story, Icing the Body Electric. Um, other than that, I like a lot of military thriller-type authors, uh, Stephen Koontz, Dale Brown. I've read some Tom Clancy, but that tends to make me fall asleep. Um, <laughs> so I, I kind of have a wide variety. In fact, most of the time I'm reading a lot of nonfiction in order to do my research for writing fiction. Ah. Well, that makes sense. you got to have the basics because, you know, that's the thing about fiction. If you uh, mess up, on a detail, people will call you out on it. Oh, most definitely. 
the worst thing I found, and I haven't done it, I don't believe, but the worst thing you can do is describe a weapon that does not have a safety as a character releasing the safety on it. Boy, you get nailed in a hurry on that. Why? Glocks don't have safeties. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, folks, we're here on the prologue on America's Web Radio. We're enjoying a conversation with Kathy Rowe. As you look her up, you'll find her as K. Rowe on Amazon, and we're going to be back with more from her after these messages. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. You're listening to America's Webradio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. We are here this morning with Kathy Rowe, her latest book, Servo. We've been going into that and her background and uh, why she wrote it and what it's about. We also want to talk a little bit more about her service. She was a 20-year veteran in the Air Force. Tell the folks again uh, about that and and how did that career in the Air Force, how did it shape your writing? Well, um, considering I started out way back when in high school thinking I could write military fiction or, as the case was, military thrillers, uh, actually having served in the military, I went when I finally decided to break out the one book again and see if I could publish it. In reading it, I went, wow, yeah, I wasn't in the military when I wrote this, and basically had to rewrite the entire novel because now I'd had multiple years in the military, and I knew exactly how things were supposed to go. So it it did help a lot because, yeah, writing it from a non-military standpoint, it was really kind of goofy. Well, now, you mentioned earlier uh, you were a technician and that you were around SEALs and and other folks like that. 
were you around special forces troops a lot or how did that not, for, not a whole lot um I sort of ended up marrying a former special forces troop he um he was a special forces combat medic so he's he always can entertain me with stories of things they did and places they went and people they killed and people they healed and things like that. So that that really helped a lot because if I get stuck, I just go, honey, can you help me on this? And he rolls his eyes and is like, what? And he'll usually tell me what I need to know. So it's it's kind of it's kind of beneficial. And well, between that, doing a lot of research as well. Well, everybody knows who the Navy SEALs are, particularly today. You know, a while back it was... The face of the special forces were the Green Berets and uh, Rangers and all of this, and of course the Marines. Now today it's the Navy SEALs, but the Air Force still kind of keeps secret. Uh, they've got some of the baddest cats on the planet. Uh, there's a group known as the CCTs, which are the Combat Controllers. Uh, they're not known too well, but uh, the other special forces folks know them, and they also know the PJs. Those are the paratroop jumpers that come in to pick up the other bad guys when they when they get hurt or get in trouble. And uh, But at any rate, all in all, some of the baddest guys that we operate with are uh, in the Air Force, including a unit called Survival, Evasion, Resistance, and Escape. That's something that all pilots who are headed into a combat situation have to go through that course. And I believe those SEER officers and training uh, coordinators are all Air Force. Isn't that right? I believe so, yeah. I think my husband had to go through that course simply because being an Air Force IDMT, he he did a lot of stuff. Actually, he did a lot of stuff even more deep than what the PJs did. And uh, so he had to go through uh, all the survival schools and things like that. And he thought, he, he actually said he had a good time there. And I'm like, yeah, that would figure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Coming yeah, from a crazy like man. Right. Coming like from a crazy man. It. Everybody enjoyed SEAL training, I'm sure. But we're, <laughs> glad we, we're glad we have those guys. The reason I bring that all up is the Dragon Slayer series, your first series that you wrote, is a, kind of about a unit like that. They're special forces. T- tell us about your special forces troops in the Dragon Slayer series. Well, originally it starts off kind of almost as a black sheep squadron. They... Uh the person in charge of putting them together really wasn't completely thrilled with the commander and her her idea of what this is supposed to be. So she was sabotaged from the very beginning. Instead of having the creme de la creme of the special forces, she ended up getting uh, some that came from Leavenworth, some that were going to Leavenworth, and basically they they she was sabotaged. So she had to take these six men that none of them had any training whatsoever and try and whip them into a special forces unit. And she wasn't exactly sure to begin with that she could do it. But once they finally came around, she realized, yes, we can do that. And then their most of their mission is, you know, counterterrorism, uh, dealing with insurgency, uh, all kinds of stuff. And they end up getting thrown into quite a few interesting missions, and uh, for the most part, she runs them, and her second-in-command pretty much does the mission. So she, she tends to stay on the on the fringes of things, or she flies the helicopter in to pick them up. So I didn't particularly want a woman character in full-on combat because that's just not realistic, but once in a while, yes, she gets shot at. Mm. Now, this is a series. We mentioned that the second in this series was uh, singled out for recognition by the military. How many books are in the Dragon Slayer series? 
currently there's four books. Um, the first book was actually a Military Writers Society of America finalist uh, the year I published it back in 2010. And I'm now working on a fifth book called Critical Mass. And maybe there's a sixth one in there. I don't know. I, I, I get little thoughts and hints whifting through my head every so often, and I'll jot stuff down. But uh, I am definitely working on the fifth book right now. There's a unit sh- uh, shoulder patch that uh, you designed. You tell me you designed it when you were in high school or, or started on it anyway. But the Dragon Slayers all have this very unique shoulder patch. Uh, I, you know, it's kind of reminiscent to me of the SEER instructors, uh, so all you seer people out there that work in that field, uh, I want you to go look up Dragon Slayers and see if you agree with me on that. Uh, Kathy, is there any coincidence to that, or how did you actually come up with that logo? Uh, it was just kind of out of the blue, really. I, Considering they were called the Dragon Slayers, I said, okay, you need to at least have a dragon or a dragon's head in there. And being the Slayer part, I thought, well, since there is a bit of there's a bit of archaic history thrown into the whole myth. I said, okay, I'll put a sword in there as well. So it's kind of like an upthrust sword going through the dragon's head, and it's just on a shield. And I scribbled on it in high school and came up with that idea. So if it was a coincidence, I guess, if it matches anything else out there. <laughs> Do you have these actually made up where people can order them, the patch? Um, I have a bunch with me at the Comic-Con, yeah. I've got, oh, I guess, cool. about... 15 or 20 of them left, and I have a, uh, actually I have a place down here in uh, London, Kentucky, it's like half hour from us, it's a really good embroidery shop, and they actually did my Comic-Con uniform for me, so I've got this gray, the, 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 the teams do what they call dirty grays, because they're usually filthy, because they're out in the field, um, with all the patches and everything, the name tapes, the whole work, so I'm going to be dressed up as um, Colonel Eagle Trigvesson for Comic-Con. Outstanding. Remind the folks again, I know we talked about it earlier. Uh, tell them again about this uh, Comic-Con in Lexington, when and where. Uh, it'll be happening, well, the VIP night is March 11th, and then the 12th and 13th are general admission days. I think they go till like, uh, one night's till like 6 or 7 on Saturday, and I think Sunday is till 4 o'clock. But they're they're having a lot of really cool people there this year. Brent Spiner from Star Trek will be there. Um Oh, Walton Goggins from Justified. He played, um, oh, he played the bad guy, but he was actually so funny. He was actually a really good bad guy. We just, half the time my husband and I sympathized and liked him better. <laughs> he, he was also and, in The Shield. Okay. I've never watched that, but um, so they, they actually have a really good list of people. Uh, if anyone's been watching the Shannara Chronicles on MTV, uh, Manu Bennett, who plays Alanon the Druid, is supposed to be there as well, so it's, it should be a really, really fun time. They have one huge convention floor um, on the bottom, and then on the third floor they also have a whole entire room up there, which is where I've got my booth. And uh, it's 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 just an absolutely crazy. People come all dressed up in their cosplay, and you'll see robots walking around and. <laughs> about 20 different versions of Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman, and it's, it's just really a lot of fun. And we'll have Kathy Rowe there in uniform, and uh, I guess you're going to bring all your books. They'll all be available for sale? Yes, I'll have my books, and actually I, uh, a client of mine, since I do publishing consulting, gave me a few copies of his children's book to, to bring along as well, so I'll be, I'll be having his oh. stuff too. 
Yeah, it's a real, it's a really beautiful little children's book. It's called Jay and the Beech Tree, and it's uh, actually available on Amazon as well, both ebook and print copies. So, I helped do okay. all the formatting and put that together for him. So I'm very pleased, and it came out gorgeous. Let's get some nuts and bolts here of the writing process. How long does it take you to complete a novel? Uh, it kind of varies. Um, Project Dragon Slayers took me oh probably more than 20 years to finally go from my high school scribblings up to a completed project. Um, I've had novels take me as little as nine months to write. Uh, one I'm current, another one I'm currently working on right now is a historical romance called Flyboys and Rivet Maids. It's set in World War II, and it's the research alone is killing me, but it's it's really going to be a very very fascinating novel. I, I emphasize more historical than the romance part. I mean, I've had to contact uh, Japanese internment camp people, uh, Rosie the Riveters. I've had, I've, I've had to go run the gamut of getting information for this book. So it's, it's right now it's on close to three, three and a half years it's taken me to work on it. And I'm a few chapters from being done. Now, and you also work on uh, several projects at the same time, isn't that right? Yeah, I'm working on that one. I've got, uh, well, I just pretty much completed Servo. I have another one of Dar's Adventures in Space going, another Dragon Slayer's book going. So, yeah, I, usually I'm working on four, three to five novels at a time. It just depends on what I happen to be in the mood to work on that day. Do you ever get crossed over with your research when you're looking into things or facts or details for one book? Do you ever get confused as to which one you're working on? No, but I do occasionally get confused on my characters. <laughs> having so many having so many characters and, and trying to keep names from repeating themselves and keep who is doing what in what book. So I did one time catch myself calling one character a totally different name out of a different book and I went back when I was editing went, Whoa, that was a mistake. Let's change that. Editing is another real critical factor. Uh we do have other writers that listen to us besides just the readers. Uh, and they like to hear these sorts of things. How do you go about your editing process? Well, when I write, I'll usually write, and then the next day when I go to write again, I'll go back and I'll reread what I wrote the previous day. I'll do a little bit of editing on it maybe, and then I carry on. But once I finally get done, I actually employ a copy editor. She's, she's up in Wisconsin. Her name is Joyce Gilmore. She's totally awesome. And I've been working with her since, 2010 so she's edited pretty much everything I've written and we have a really really good relationship she's she understands my style and you know sometimes she'll write funny little comments back going haha that was a good joke I like that one or did you really mean to say this or was your character supposed to say that and uh, but it's really nice because it's a second set of eyes and she catches a lot of stuff I do not catch <laughs> Listen, we are here this morning with Kathy Rowe. You'll find her on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and other online booksellers as K. Rowe. And we're going to be back to finish this amazing interview up after these messages. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide.
The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. This is Daryl Pullis, inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction and medical director of the Atlanta Healing Center. Please join me on Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. We're here this morning with Kathy Rowe. If you're looking her up, please use the initial K Rowe, and you'll find her books listed. Kathy, how many books do you have available out there altogether at this point? Um, I think with Servo, it makes 15. You have apparently uh, perfected your system. You were talking to us beforehand about all the books that you write at the same time and your editing process and all the different irons in the fire that you have. Um, You said you get lost from time to time with it. Your editing process, is it strictly what you described, or when you get finished with the book, do you have somebody like your husband or somebody close to you that you have go over it before you send it to your friend who edits it? Um, Usually not. Uh, a lot of people are able to find beta readers. For some funny reason, I don't seem to have that luck. So I I write, I go through it a whole bunch of times, and when I think it's ready, I send it off to my editor, and she goes through it, sends it back. I fix what she bled all over, send it back again. She bleeds over it again, and usually by the third time, I'm pretty happy with it and ready to publish. So. Some of our listeners may not know what she means by bleeding all over it. If you've ever got a manuscript back with all the red corrections, you'll know. Uh <laughs> Microsoft she, she, now Word. Ble- she now bleeds on it electronically, actually. We fi- I yeah. finally got her to using track changes in Word, which is so nice. And we, we, we teased earlier about all the different genres. How about you telling us, again, remind the folks what all is available from k Road, the different genres that you write in. Well, let me see. Uh, young adult, uh, military thriller. I have a children's book out there called Sevy the Duck. It, uh, eh, it's for about, you know, three, four, five, six-year-olds. I write uh, contemporary romance. I write um, sci-fi. I've written some uh, supernatural thriller horror and a little bit of erotica thrown in there as well. So I'm kind of all over the board, and uh, my hopefully my next release will be a historical romance. Give the folks an example of one of your contemporary romance novels. 
I have, well, I have three that are currently out, uh, Cowboys and Olympians, Silks and Sands, and Farmer Boys and City Girls, which that one is really seriously steamy, by the way. <laughs> Ooh, so, so we, have an age, we have an age bracket on that one? Oh, that's definitely, uh, yeah, that's definitely uh, grown-ups. Okay, <laughs> all right. Supernatural thrillers and horror. That's uh, big stuff today. In fact, you can't hardly turn the TV on without seeing another preview for a movie like that. Tell us a little bit about your character, Marcus Bishop. Marcus was an interesting character because I I used to live in Memphis, Tennessee, and every day on my way to work for carriage tours of Memphis, I would pass this place called Ashler Hall. It is a big stone castle. It's got gargoyles. It's been you know sitting there for years, so it's all dilapidated. It's just really creepy. And way back when, I always thought, oh, that would be a perfect setting for a horror novel. So fast forward, more than 20 years later, I'm at the end of my military career, and for some funny reason, Ashler Hall pops back into my head again. And I wanted to, I wanted, decided now, yes, I want to do this story. So I wanted a main character that was interesting to book-oriented people, so I thought, well, let's make him a book publisher, a very rich book publisher. And uh, so that's he, how he kind of came about. And then there's um, another character in there, which was even far more fascinating, was the previous owner of Ashler Hall. His name is Prince Mongo, um, a.k.a. Robert Hodges, but he goes by Prince Mongo. He says he hails from the planet Zambodia, and he's 333 years old. You can't get any better than that. You can look him up on YouTube, and he's actually on Facebook as well. And uh, he usually runs for mayor of Memphis and loses. But I needed a character where Marcus could interact with briefly, I thought, to handle the transaction of the hall. Well, in getting to know Prince Mongo, things just kind of blew up, and he ended up kind of stealing the show of the book. But between Marcus and Mongo, it was so much fun to write. Even though it's a horror novel, it was, it was, it was great. And I'm actually still friends with Prince Mongo today. Moving, moving to your space theme, again, this writer covers all types of genres. Uh, you have a character, Dar Meltem. Am I saying that right? Yes, that's right. Tell, tell, us, tell us a little bit about him. And uh, well, I actually ended up writing the space series as a dare from a horror author friend of mine. He, uh, I'd asked him if he could read The Hall and let me know what he thought. And when he got done, he says, I absolutely positively loved it. He says, but you need to write sci-fi. And I told him he was out of his mind. And he laughed and said, no, I dare you. So, you know, what happens when you dare people? Things happen. So I came up with the character of uh, Captain Dar Meltem, who is half human, half satyran. So he's basically humanoid looking. He's got kind of green hair on the front of his head, and he's got... Really, really long, I wouldn't. I would call them softly pointed looking elven ears, to which one of them got cut in a fight, so it's bent over, and it adds a little comedy to his, you know, persona. And I wanted to have a character who would, as like other characters, have to deal with a lot of hard stuff in life. And growing up in the galaxy, he did. He ended up being very heavily discriminated about against from his uh, main race of, you know, family they did you know they wanted nothing to do with him because well you're not a purebred so throughout the whole space books you kind of see how he has to deal with this discrimination and how, how he has to fight his way through it 
and everything, and how at the end, well, not quite the end, um, they actually revere him for who he is and what he can do. Kathy Rowe, K. Rowe, as an author on Amazon, you're actually a one-stop shop for just about anything anybody would be looking for that they might want to read. With all the genres that you work in, is there one that was that's more difficult to write than any of the others? Mm, currently right now it's the historical romance. <laughs> I've wanted to tear my hair out numerous times on that one. Um, besides that, the military thrillers are very tough because it's a lot of research, a lot of finding the right settings, finding the right characters, finding the right technology, um, and really finding a lot of the correct science to make everything work. And what was really cool is when I started writing these, the first book way back when, a lot of the stuff that I had written technically was science fiction, but as the years have gone by, I'm now you know, I read it again and go, wow, this is now kind of science fact. This is creepy cool. This is an unfair question. It's like asking you which one's your favorite child. But of your 15 books, do you have a particular favorite, or which one would you point to for a new reader to start reading what K. Rowe has put out? Well, if you like a good kind of rollicking sci-fi, I would I would suggest you know uh, start out with Space Crazy. It's, uh, you can actually get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Smashwords as an e-book for free. Yes, totally free. So you can download that and check out Dar, take him around the block, you know, kick him in the pants a couple times and see if you like him. And if you do, then there's, you know, three more books in the series. Um, and he kind of endeared me as being such a really cool character because he's very, very versatile. I mean, he can go from one planet to another and somehow make a go of it. As a self-published and, and independent writer, what did you find to be the most difficult part of that process? Dealing with the discrimination from people who believe self-published authors only put out crap. That was the hardest thing because I, I spend a lot of time on my books. If I have a cover that I can't do myself, I have cover artists that I will employ to do them for me. I have an editor that I pay, so... I am not putting out garbage, you know. I uh, Cowboys and Olympians was a uh, number one bestseller on Smashwords.com. Funny enough, it was on my birthday one year. Uh, Silks and Sand is a Military Writers Society bronze medal winner. Uh, Project Dragon Slayers was a finalist for the MWSA. Uh, so I've got a lot of things that people have recognized. Yes, I I I, I am a good writer, actually. <laughs> I may not have a huge, massive amount of Amazon reviews because being a self-published author, it's really hard to get the word out there, which is why I'm hoping Comic-Con will help. That's the biggest thing is the marketing. That it's, When you have deep pockets, you can get the word spread a lot easier. Real quick, we're running out of time like we tend to do. Tell us real fast, who was Ron Knight? Uh, Ron Knight is actually, um, he runs an independent author website and everything. I've learned quite a bit from him. But he also runs every year, or at least he has, uh, he does what he calls the top 100 authors. And he selects them all off of Facebook. So a lot of times it was things that, you know, you, you like his page and you go on, you post stuff, do whatever. And uh, he evidently was quite tickled enough with me because in 2012 I was his number one uh, independent author. So wow. he, he started... 
he starts with a list of 8,000, narrows it down to 100, and I was number one that year, so I was really, really stoked. It was amazing. Very good. Listen, our time has just about run out here. Is there anything we've left out this hour, anything that you just need to bring up before we close down? Oh, I don't think so, but if you're in the Lexington, Kentucky area in the middle of March, come on by Comic-Con. Check me out. It'll be a lot of fun. I'm going to have an uh, uh, up-and-coming comic book artist with me, and we're hopefully going to be producing our first comic book soon. Outstanding. Well, folks, take her up on that. Stop by the Comic-Con up there in Lexington in the middle of March and uh, get to meet Kathy. She'll be in uniform, so you'll enjoy that. And pick up a patch while you're there as long as, as well as a book. Kathy, this, this has been a real pleasure to have you on this morning, uh, learning about your books and about you. Uh, thank you for being here. I hope you've had a good time. Oh, thank you very much. Now, I hope you guys and gals listening out there in this audience will get out and look for books. And, again, we call her Kathy. Look for K, the initial K row, on Amazon, all the online sites, and Smashwords. And please tell your friends about our show and how they can listen to the podcast absolutely free by going to the links at americaswebradio.com. The show is called The Prologue. And if you or any of your friends would like to be a guest on The Prologue, please reach out to me. Again, the email address is doug at americaswebradio.com or doug at dougdahlgren.com. That's it for this hour, folks. I want to thank you again for my guest, Kathy Rowe, and myself. I am Doug Dahlgren. As uh, we always try to say, be good to yourselves and each other. Read a book. If it's not one of Kathy's, maybe you'll choose one of mine. And I'll see you folks again in just 167 hours. Take care. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.